Hey, folks, today's episode is brought to you by Comedy Central's The Opposition with Jordan Klepper. It's time to wake up and stay up every weeknight. Jordan and his team of citizen journalists are the only fact hunters left in this George Soros-controlled leftist monarchy known as the media. That's right. The mainstream media is a liberal monarchy. Don't believe it? Then why does Larry King still have a show? You know where I'm going with this? You see where I'm going with this? You can count on Jordan Klepper and only Jordan Klepper to find sometimes factual information that proves what he already believes. Join the opposition with Jordan Klepper every weeknight at 1130. 1030 Central after The Daily Show on Comedy Central. We're also sponsored by Hot Date, a half-hour modern sketch comedy on Pop TV featuring real-life married couple Emily Axford and Brian K. Murphy. The show is based on their wildly popular digital series Hot Date on the number one YouTube comedy channel, College Humor Originals. Executive produced by Will Arnett, Hot Date chronicles the hilarious ins and outs of dating, sex, and marriage in a totally original way with Axford and Murphy playing multiple couples and characters. Hot Date premieres Wednesday, November 8th at 8 and 11 on Pop TV. Find your channel at poptv.com. Dig it. Let's do the show. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. How are you? Are you okay? Is everything, you and your people, all right? You all right? In this era of no good news, violence and horror and sadness. I hope you and yours are okay, as I said before. And I wanted to remind you, Seattle, don't forget you can come meet me and Brendan this Saturday, November 11th. We'll be at... Third Place Books in Seward Park, doing a talk, taking your questions, and signing copies of Waiting for the Punch. That's 7 p.m. on Saturday, November 11th. Come on, Seattle. I might go get some scallops down at Joe's Fish Shack, down in Pike's Market, where you just sit there and get a little basket of fried scallops or fish, bowl of chipino, maybe. I could do that. Fuck it, man going to eat some bad shit. Well, let's do an email first. If any of you are under the impression that uh, I'm getting better, I think I am. There's a lot of good things going on. But uh, there are moments that I don't feel good about. This guy didn't seem to have a problem with it. But, you know, I I get emails. I get feedback sometimes. Subject line, at the book event in L.A., I had a very Marin, in quotes, interaction with you. Mark, the event in L.A. was great. I've just started the book, and I'm really enjoying it. I've been a listener for a while now, and I've heard a lot of the podcast this pulls from, but it's put together in a really nice way. Great work by Brendan and you. I had a pretty great interaction with you at the end of the signing. That was somehow exactly what I would expect from you in a hilarious way. See, right there, I'm like, okay, what's coming at me? I was wearing a Dodgers cap, and Brendan thanked me for coming out to the event during the World Series. You looked up for a second from signing a book and asked, if they win tonight, is it over? When my girlfriend began to explain that it was only game five and that the series would be coming back to L.A. for game six and maybe seven, you cut her off and said, oh, I don't care. Then went back to signing a book. It was the perfect, lovable, curmudgeon response. It's been making us laugh since Sunday, and I just wanted to let you know. Thanks, man, Andrew. I guess it was a tone thing, because when I read that, 
that sounds like I, I was being a dick, but maybe if it was sort of like, oh, no, I don't, I don't care. Like, if it was like that, I'll assume that it was like that. Because if I was just sort of like, that, nah, fuck it, I don't care, that would be, it would seem rude to your girlfriend from, from the read. But, uh, but, uh, but maybe, okay, okay, maybe, okay. I'll let it be a good experience for you. I'm not going to take that away from you. Did I mention Jenna Fisher is on the show? Jenna Fisher from The Office, and she wrote a book. She wrote a book called The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide. Uh, but it was a very pleasant conversation, I might say. So wh- where are we at? Uh, folks, getting a good night's sleep is easier said than done, especially if you hear a noise downstairs. Think about it. What do you do in that situation, huh? You could, you could, you could turn on all the lights and keep watch, check your kid's bed every hour, sleep with one eye open, or you can rest easy knowing that your home and family are protected with Simply Safe. Each Simply Safe system is a complete security arsenal with motion sensors, glass break sensors, entry sensors, and a high definition security camera. You'll have everything you need to keep your family safe. Order online in minutes, have it on your doorstep that week, and set it up in under an hour. No tools, no hardwiring, just open the box, plug it in, and you'll be protected 24-7 with professional home security. It's all just $14.99 a month, no contracts, no hidden fees. Right now, Simply Safe has a special pre-holiday sale for all my listeners. Visit simplysafewtf.com right now to check it out. This offer ends soon. These systems will fly off the shelves. Go to Simply Safe wtf.com do it secure your stuff and your body secure it all get secured now i'm just improvising taglines for simply safe secure that that stuff i I can't say shit because i don't they, they might not secure it get get it locked down lock that shit down oh see i said shit simply safe yeah just set the buzzers you know what fuck it all right look so i did a benefit for myeloma oh how do you say it myeloma i think the horrible blood cancer that peter boyle died of um ray romano has been hosting a benefit for myeloma for the last decade and change 11 years maybe this was the 11th year and I was asked to go uh, to come down and do seven to ten, nice tight one for the uh, for the good, raise some money to uh, help myeloma get fixed, cured, treated, managed, handled, corralled, booted out of the body. But uh, but it was interesting because it was me and Hannibal Burris, Nikki Glaser was there, um, Rachel Feinstein. Eliza Schlesinger, they've all been on my show. Ray was there. Um, Fred Willard, Robert Klein. I feel like I'm missing somebody. But it was kind of interesting hanging out in the dressing room. I, I walked back to the dressing room and it was just Fred Willard in a very kind of bright blue suit sitting alone by himself with no refreshments or food. Just that was the green room. It's like, whoa, how you doing? Fred, it seems wild in here. And Willard said, yeah, I invited a lot of people. So Willard's a very funny man. And Robert Klein, who I've met many times, I've interviewed him, I've had my problems with him in the past that he didn't remember. He had no recollection of meeting me, which is fine. But Klein and 
Fred Willard are in their 70s, well into their 70s. And uh, it was interesting. To, it's interesting to watch men in their 70s interact. And they've known each other. They were at Second City together years ago, I believe. But they don't see each other a lot. And I realized something about men of that age when they haven't seen each other. And even if they have, but they don't see each other regularly, when they do get together, they try, they're really just... The interaction is really a prolonged jogging of each other's memory. Like, you know, it's really they challenge each other to remember things. That that seems to be the entire interaction after a certain age. I think you can cover what's happening immediately in the present. It seems pretty quickly. But then it's sort of like, what was that guy's name from the thing? Joe. That's right. All right. That's one point for you. What's the question? Who was who was uh, Joe's wife? Oh, Jesus. Which one? Which wife? The Which of the three? The second one? Was that Joanne? Oh, yeah. Point for me. So where did, where did we do that show? That uh, Was that in the, the one with me and you? And I think uh, the other guy was there. Where was that? Is that in, was that in Albany? Oh, re- oh, Connecticut. All right. Do I lose a point now? It's just sort of fascinating. And endearing that, uh, that, that's really what, and it's sweet. You know, why wouldn't we want to try to remember things that were pleasurable? That's got to be one of the, the great capacities of the human mind, especially in dark times, is to remember good things without being too nostalgic. You want to be careful of malignant nostalgia. You don't want to be, uh, overcome, overcome by the beauty of a past that your brain reconstructs. And revises and mythologizes to keep you uh, engaged in something pleasant. Somewhere to go back to. You don't want to spend too much time there. Fortunately, my brain seems to be just rotting in terms of memory anyway. So, But here's the thing. So I was jotting down the note of having that realization about older men getting together. I wrote it down in my notebook. Klein was sitting next to me. He's, and he said with a sort of a paranoid, suspicious tone, what are you writing down? Like I was jotting down notes for a new blog post on Fred Willard and Robert Klein's interaction backstage at a cancer benefit. I said, I'm writing the idea down for a joke. Robert, you remember? <laughs> He's like, oh, you still right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while since, uh, yeah, I guess I'm busy, I guess. I, I don't know. No problem. Can I finish writing it down now, Mr. Klein? It's getting to be the time of year, folks. You know the time. Holidays are coming. It's the end of the year. You've got to send out gifts, cards, flowers, all that stuff. Thankfully, you can avoid the hassle of the post office and instead mail all your holiday envelopes or packages domestic or international, with Stamps.com. Stamps.com lets you buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. You just go to Stamps.com, select your postage, and print it out on your home computer, and that's it. 
And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, folks. Print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7. Plus, they'll send you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage and helps you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. It's $15.99 per month, but because you get discounts on postage that you can't get at the post office, you actually wind up saving money. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. If you want to get a signed Mark Marin poster from our merch page, I'll be sending that to you using Stamps.com. And you too, my friends, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in WTF. That's Stamps.com. Enter WTF. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Never go to the post office again. Guns are bad. They should be managed. Right? Am I right? A lot of them out there. A lot of them out there. Hey, so... Look. Jenna Fisher is amazing. She's adorable. She's great. She's memorable. Amazing part on The Office. Everybody loves her, and uh, I was excited to talk to her. Her new book is called Actor's Life, A Survival Guide. It's got a foreword by Steve Carell. You can pre-order it now, and it comes out November 14th, wherever you get books. This is me and the lovely Jenna Fisher talking. You're the the lady I know from the television that I feel familiar with because you've been on television. I feel familiar with you because I've listened to your podcast so much yeah. and also seen you on television. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, that gives you one extra thing. You probably know me better than I know you. This is probably true. Yeah. Because you I, talk about your actual self. I do. Yeah. But And you and you didn't on television. It's weird. That's I always wonder. That's sort of a, a hard thing to deal with, isn't it? That people assume they know you from your character. It's weird because I always say it's like having an identical <laughs> twin. Um <laughs> And and one of the twins is yeah. like really well known and famous, but, right. but I'm the other twin. Right. So people are always coming up to me saying Pam and regarding me like Pam. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You mean my sister. But you know what's crazy? John Heater, yeah. you know, from Napoleon Dynamite, he has an identical twin brother. He does? Yes. Have you met him? Yes. Can you imagine what it's like for his identity? Like huh. that is real. Like he actually, there is a guy who so, isn't John. Who, who looks just lo- like him. Yes. And that's such a weird uh, cult-figured character. Yes. Can you Napoleon imagine the Dynamite? hell of his life no. when his brother was like What's that blowing guy? up? What's he been doing? Do John? You, yeah. I don't know. I saw him at the zoo recently. We both you, had our kids at the zoo and we ran into each other. Wasn't he in one of the wacky big movies? He's been... He, the volleyball... I, was it the volleyball one or no? It was the other one, a skate one. I did, the, I did Blades of Glory right, with Blades him. Right, Blades of Glory. You yeah. were in that. Yeah. But, um, and that's where you met him? Yeah. And then we kind of lost touch, but um, he lives out of town. He's got like, he had a family and settled kind of outside of the city a little Is bit. Is he one of those like unique and uh, respectable people that made a little bit of money and they're like, I don't need this shit. Kind of. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I love those people. They're just like, you know, how much do I really need to not be here anymore? Or do this necessarily. It's kind of true. <clears throat> yeah. It's like, I did it. Yeah. I'm done. What, what are you, you could do that. They're the people who leave Vegas early. Yeah. They're like, I'm up. 
Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm cashing in. No, get back yeah, here. No, you can win more. Yeah. Just stay. You can have more. I just break even. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You go through that horrible wave of like, I've lost every. I've went to the ATM twice. And then you hit that yeah. even point. You're like, I'm, I, got, I, stop, I can't take it. I add my ATM fees into my. Gambling? Into my gambling losses. And how then that causes you, me anxiety. How, how long have you had this horrible gambling problem? I had a bit of a poker obsession <laughs> you, you many were, years ago. Well, you were on the show, too. Like, didn't you do The TV? Celebrity Poker Showdown. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that? No. Was that filmed, like, months after Hurricane Katrina? Yeah. And it, it filmed in New Orleans. Yeah. So they flew us in um, on a private jet. The only time I've ever been on a private jet. Ever? Ever in my life. To this day. To this day. Uh-huh. Was to fly and do Celebrity Poker Showdown. In, in, in the in uh, New Orleans. flood-ravaged New Orleans. Yes. So I land in a private jet. They load me into a limousine with all the other actors and comedians. Yeah. And then they drive us through miles and miles and miles of devastation. I mean, I've never felt like such an asshole in my whole life. <laughs> I, like, like for real, like the the car ride was silent. Why wasn't that the conversation? No one was at all speaking at we, the poker table. Why didn't you open with that? I mean, it's. I think if you watch it, you can still see the effects of that in the game. Like we're just like we're so sorry. Was we're that? So was there? Where was it done at a casino? Uh, where was it? done? Why was it done in New Orleans to begin with? They were probably trying to bring back. They probably business. Yeah, or, you know that's a good question. Like, we're okay. Look, we're playing cards. Yeah, I don't know, but I remember driving through and just yeah, it's horrible. It was it. The news couldn't couldn't show me it. I went there later than that, and it was still fucked. You know, yeah, pretty fucked it, up. Just like, a like entire strip malls gone. Just nothing. Yeah, abandoned car. I thought, how do you even clean this up? I don't even know. Yeah, how you deal with this? Well, so they, now, of course, I think that with. Houston. Hurricane Harvey and yeah. Irma and everything. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in, um, I don't have to put these on, right? No. Should I put these on? No. Okay, good. You don't have to. Um, you seem to know how to talk to a microphone. Okay, good. <laughs> it makes me self-conscious when I hear my own voice. Does it into really? my own. Yeah. It makes me start speaking like an NPR person. <laughs> oh, really? You've... More slowly and thoughtfully. And I don't want to do that. Let's do that like in the middle unless, for just like 10 minutes. <laughs> unless you like it. Like, so. uh, like when, when we get to a particularly, so maybe an emotional part or something, reflection you're having, we should use the headphones. I'll slow down. Reflection headphones. Okay. Like, what'd you think of that? And you're like, hold on. <laughs> you know how I felt was very, very sensitive. Yeah. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Not many people do that. I mean, I not many that I've talked to. I think Ham grew up there, right? Yeah, John Ham. He did. I've been to St. Louis. I like it. I went up into the uh, the arch. You did the arch, I, I, the, the I, rickety elevator. Years ago, I did that. Yeah, that goes up at a curve. Yeah, it's just you and two other people. Or no, something. it feels like you're gonna <laughs> die. Yeah, it's, they haven't figured out how to get you up there more efficiently. It's a pretty American city. Yes. Uh huh. Um, William Burroughs, I think, is from there. Now I'm just throwing stuff out. Um, why? Uh, what do you go back all the time? You do, yeah. You my, love it? my folks live there, really, and my sister and her family live there, so I go back all the time. So is it still? Uh, is it is it okay there? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I um, 
there's things about it that I miss and that I like. Mm-hmm. I'm always surprised at the amount of ample parking. Mm-hmm. And and that's not a joke. Like I really mean it. Like you can just park if you want to go to a restaurant, you just park at it. Well, is it like but is it a populated city? Is it one of those it's, cities that got suburbanized and everyone left and now they tried to make it hip again, so they built some restaurants and people come in on weekends maybe? Oh, yeah, I never go into St. Louis City. Right. Like where the capital is and the arch and the unless no. you go to a ball game. Right. You know, and they did try. They tried to build it up. Yeah. I have a friend who bought right. a condo and was like, I'm going to be part of the reinvention of the city. Uh-huh. And it ended up like blowing up and it didn't work out. She uh-huh. had to sell it at a loss. It, it didn't work. But um, no, it is. It's a, so it it's a suburban sprawl down there by herself. Yeah, she was. It was. She was like, <laughs> no one else came. <laughs> no one has. It's going to happen. I'm alone. <laughs> We would visit her. Yeah. I'd go down and visit her. It's just, it's just she had empty, a great place. Empty streets. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, L.A. was like that for a while when people started moving downtown. Downtown L.A. Yeah, yeah. I know. And now it seems to be happening. It seems like it is happening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like more and more people. I it, hear it's that. It's actually happening. I hear that. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. I don't know. There's, I, I, yeah. I've, I've been, visited people down there. Me too. Yeah. They seem okay. It seems good, but then like you go one block too far and it's super scary. Well, yeah, but that's most cities, really, yeah. right? But, but, uh, but it's still kind of like, is LA really, was it ever meant to be a walking city? What are you going to do down there? I don't know. Yeah, it, that's the thing. Like it's, New York is New York. Like, you know, yes. you got to walk everywhere. It's what you do there because it's the best option or get on a subway. Yeah. And LA. Chicago is Chicago. Exactly. Like Chicago's like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But down there, it's like, it's four blocks. What do you, yeah. Well, it's, that, it's true. We've, 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 we've renovated four blocks of downtown Los Angeles. So enjoy. <laughs> Everything's close. I don't know. Um, I don't know how to live like a grown up. But you, so you're over there near me. Yeah. I'm an East Sider. Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking. I like it. I like, I drove, I drove through Glendale the other day going, I took a shortcut to somewhere. It's great. And I was like, people, this is good. This is how people live. It's the best kept secret, I think. Well, I think it's stigmatized. There's In what way? I don't know. Just Glendale. I know. When every time I say it, I'm like, people people react as if they're embarrassed for yeah, me. Yeah, it's like, oh, what happened? Oh, really? <laughs> and I'm like, it's you guys, it's great. It is great. And there's really beautiful parts of Glendale. There are. And we live within walking distance of a park and also, which is great for kids. Yeah. But then there's like this little towny area uh-huh. that we can walk to and you can get like stuff from a bakery and coffee yeah. and I don't oh, know yeah. I like that stuff yeah Pasadena too you say Pasadena yeah. people are like oh god but then all of a sudden now it's you go Altadena they're like oh really what's that like it's further away yeah and it's like it's it's hit or miss up there it's like the wild west I I, I just think that the east east side part of Los Angeles is like the best. Me too. And it's closer to highways and we can get out. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe if the shit goes down, we might be able to get out. You think we can? Maybe. Go up are to you, two. Are you worried about it? Yeah. <laughs> Hit the two, get on the 210 and just go. You have an actual exit plan. You just named roads. Get, yeah. I'm going to go east, man. <laughs> get away from what, however they're going to come, they got to come east. You can't go in the water. So we're on the east. You're part. right. That's right. We're already inland. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. We're gonna keep going. Yeah, and then it'll get bogged down somewhere. So wait. So now St. Louis. How many? You got a sister? I have one sister. She's younger. What's she doing? She's a teacher. She's a third and grade you, teacher. What'd your mom do? She was a teacher. She yeah. was an eighth grade history teacher. Really? Yes. And your dad did what? My dad was a plastics engineer. Do you know what that means? Yes. Well, I do know a couple things. When I was a little kid, his company got hired to design a plastic 
Coca-Cola can. Uh-huh. So they were going to make cans out of plastic for a while. And we had one. That's we had a prototype of Coke <laughs> in a plastic friends? can all the time. All the time. It was like a big, it was like a trophy on the shelf. <laughs> and when we moved, cool? we lost it. Oh. We lost the plastic Coke. Oh. It was such a bummer. Where'd you move to? We just moved just to another house, like 10 minutes away. But in somehow the, in the packing and unpacking process, this plastic, I don't know. The prototype it went away. It. No. So like kids would come over and be like, isn't this cool? This is the only one there is. Yes. I know. And I used to freak out like when I would throw parties or something in my youth that someone was going to fuck with it or like open it or do you know what I mean? Like, oh, my God, someone drank the plastic Coke. Was there really Coke in it? Yeah, there was Coca-Cola in it. It was filled. It was like they manufactured some. Well, I'm sure maybe some other guys had them, too, but it never went on the shelves. Like it never made it out of the sort of, you know, sampling process. And that was your dad's company. He worked for that company. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also, you know, when you buy those biscuits in the freezer and they're in that container that and you pop open. Yeah. His, his team invented that packaging and he was part of the patent for that, I believe. But they're not his in the company. freezer. Are they? Are thought, they? Well, no. what? No, they're in the refrigerated section. Right. And they're also not made out of plastic. But for whatever reason, he told me when the I was The ones little, where you hit it and it pops open? Yeah. Those are so exciting. I know, right? And so we always had a lot of biscuits <laughs> growing up. I remember that also. So we had a lot of biscuits and a plastic it was just one of those can filled with where, Coke. You know, you'd see the commercial, you know, for the popping up. I think it was a Pillsbury product, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it, just to see it go pop, you, it was, you wanted that. You wanted it. Yeah. You want to do it when you get it home, too. Yeah. It's exciting. Like, and yeah. if it duds, you're pissed. Oh, like if you don't hit it quite right, but it opens enough for it not to, not yeah. to pop, but to f- fuck it up. Yep. You have to stab it with a knife yeah. or something. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer. Worst. Yeah. Yeah. And then you peel out the biscuits. Those biscuits are okay. Yeah. So you grew up with those, huh? Yep. Had a lot the, of those. With the built-in butter. It's already like, yep. it's already buttery inside. Already buttered for you. But you will add more butter after <laughs> sure. it's baked as well. Sure. Yeah. When did you start uh, this uh, need to be looked at and as a performer? <laughs> it's so weird because I think that if you met me and my sister, if you saw us growing up, everyone would think she would be the performer. Cause well, she... I like the pictures in your book. Oh, yeah. They're kind of funny. Yeah, as you, as the photos in the book will show you, I was often in the background of things. Well, I mean, but I you were- I grew up in the background. You were a kid, did you? Yeah, a little, I mean- But she's younger than you. How did you manage to get in the background of a younger sibling? I was just more of an introvert. I was just more of like, just more cerebral, more of a thinker. Just like in my head way more. And she was more presentational and doing dances for the relatives at Christmas. And But in a happy way, you yeah, were thinking? Me? Like- no. I mean, in just always very, um, for my whole life, if I'm not sort of like tortured by figuring out things, yeah, then I'm, I don't know who I am. Like that's, that's my default. <laughs> I mean, in, in high school, everyone else is like, Watching soap operas in the senior yeah. lounge, yeah. and I'm pointing out the subliminal messaging and advertising that's keeping women down. Oh yeah, you know, so it's right. like that's like I'm just worried about the whole world, yeah. and everything all the time. Right. So, so you, a lot of people are like, nah, I don't know if we don't invite her. I mean, I had my close friend, but I wasn't. <laughs> no, I wasn't like a fun. I wasn't like a fun time gal. No, I was more serious. But yeah. Were you like? Did, so you didn't hang out with the cool kids. I didn't, but my school didn't totally have cool kids. Oh, really? I, I, I went to an all-girls high school. Oh, um, my God. What is... It was amazing. Good. It changed my life. Really? Yes. 
Absolutely. Just to not have being not to be pestered or have You know what it was? I I had gone to public school my whole life mm-hmm. and uh before high school. Before high school. Yeah. Went to the junior high, hated it. Was definitely not popular. There were definitely cool kids and I was not one of were them. Were you bullied? No, I was invisible. Like no one knows they went to school with me. Why? No one knows. But you're you're so uh you know, you seem I quiet. Quiet, <laughs> thinking about stuff, just Trying to stay out of everybody's way. So you, I didn't you, want to be cool. Didn't want to be a nerd. Like so I, you, you don't know be, I'm there. You wanted to be invisible. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Just don't notice me. Yeah. Was my goal. And then I got to high school, yeah, and I changed. High, yeah, I changed high schools because my yeah. mom was this eighth grade history teacher at a right. Catholic school. Yeah. And I became friends with some of the girls in that class, her yeah. eighth grade class, when I was in eighth grade, and they were all going to this one Catholic girls' school in St. Louis called Narricks Hall. And I said, I want to go to school with them. I want them to be my friends. So I went and I toured and they set up, my parents said, okay, we'd love it. Yeah. And then I remember sitting in my freshman class and um, they like, they made an announcement that we're going to have elections for student government. And I thought to myself, oh my God, a girl is going to be president of the class because it's all we have. <laughs> like it, at the public schools... A boy was president, Mm -hmm. a girl was vice president, a boy was treasurer, a girl was secretary. It was just how it was. And that just like, it exploded my mind. And then also at my school, like being smart and caring about things and caring about the world and doing well in school, that made you cool. There was like a competition to raise your hand in class yeah. and have the right answer. So right. It, we weren't competing for boys or boys' attention or what we were wearing because we all wore uniforms. It really was like... the life-changing. Yes. And by the way, like this person who'd been inside of me thinking all this time right. could now extrovert. Right. And so I extroverted in high school. Oh, thank God. And I loved the, uh, it. Uniforms in the all-girls school. Loved it. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Huh. Well, yeah, I guess that, like, you know, boys and, it doesn't, like, public schools with boys and girls can be brutal on both sides. Yeah. I think it's it's worse for girls. No, no, I mean, like, girls are going to give you shit and boys are going to give you, like, if you're a a vulnerable person or a sensitive person or different, you're going to get it from just the nature of that culture. Yeah. Right? Whereas everybody in a, in a uh, all girls school where you have to wear a uniform and your, and education is put at a premium, it's great. Just gets all that other shit out of the way. Completely. Oh. And I had my little group of friends. Lifesaver. Lifesaver. I had this cool group of friends. There were four of us. Two of the girls were like way more wild and like smoked cigarettes and smoked pot and snuck out of their house and stuff. And then the other girl, who was kind of my best friends. We were like two sets of best friends who were then best friends. Um, she was like me. She was like into like listening to Edie Burkell and saving the environment. Mm. And um, that wasn't me. But we were like this sort of like cerebral follow the rules girls. Yeah. And then we had like these other this other couple of girls who were like the break the rules girls. So what, and they, it was a nice balance. What, but what did you like? You know, what did you do? Like, I did. No, I no, did. But, I mean, did you say that? To oh them? yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like so cool. Like, what do you mean? Like, I, you don't have a curfew? They didn't have a curfew. <laughs> Ellen and I had curfews, yeah. you know, but like they didn't. They didn't have a curfew. What about the boys? Oh, they dated boys. They had boyfriends. Yeah, I didn't have a boyfriend until 
my senior year. So you were living vicariously through Completely. These. Tell us stories. How Tell did, me about losing your virginity. What was it like? You know, all of they that. They did that when you were in high school? They did, yeah. Yeah. We were we were just late to the And was party. that a good story? Their stories? Yeah. No. No. It was a bad... It was like a huge... It was like the... Any sex talk my parent could have had with me would could not compare to like <laughs> your girlfriend telling you... Trust me, don't do it. <laughs> Just don't do it. it Wave it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's sad. But I guess that's the way it is. Did those friendships hold up? I'm still friends with them. With yeah. the wild girls? With the wild girls, who have now, of course, settled down and have families and children and all uh-huh. these things. Back in St. Louis, they all three of those gals still live in St. Louis. And I reconnected with them at our 10-year high school reunion. And because um, at college, we all went to different places. We kind of lost touch. Yeah. But we all saw each other at our 10-year reunion, and we've stayed in touch ever since. The 10-year reunion? Yeah, the 10-year. So you weren't even a big star then? No. Yeah. I had not been on the office yeah, that, for my tenure. That is a bold move to go back as somebody who wants to be an actress. As a struggling actress to, in L.A. To go back yeah. to your 10-year. I couldn't do it. No? No. I didn't go back until at least I had a couple credits. Yeah, I went back. I haven't been to one since. So I guess I'm that person. Yeah, I guess you are now. I'm like, well, now I've made it. Yeah, so I they know who have, I am. I don't have time. <laughs> no, I think I went back for a 25, but there was no way I was going to 10. No. No, couldn't field the questions. So like you're, so you're doing comedy and oh. uh, what is that? Are you on TV? I'm not. I'm not on TV. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to, I couldn't do it. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it because it's like, well, well, what have you done? Yeah. What have I seen you in? And, well, and, I don't know. Did you come to an experimental theater <laughs> performance and, and lets, for two nights in L.A.? But then it lets them be condescending. But it doesn't sound like, you know, it sounds like you would have had a good time anyways because that high school seemed like everybody, well, you had a lot of friends there. Yeah, everybody was pretty cool. Yeah, but like it, just a regular like high school to go back to that oh. it, and to allow the people that never left to be... To have a right to condescend? Yeah. You're like, well, good good call on the L.A. thing, huh? Oh, right? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. So I didn't I get it. it. Yeah. So tell me about this thing, because like this book, and it's interesting that your sister's a teacher and your mom's a teacher, because it seems that you have teacher in you. Yeah? My mom will be so flattered by that. No, but I mean, I feel that. It seems like that, like this book, like outside, like it doesn't seem like you're like, I'm going to make some money on a bestseller. Yeah. It's sort of like I want to help some, some 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 dreamers out. Yeah, I've I've made zero dollars so far. I did not take an advance on the book. I oh, so no, I just want to. I, I just so wanna, I, you're correct that well, I have not been doing it for money. But far. I just I sort of I, I want to I want to be practical and temper people's you know ridiculous dreams. Yeah, well, you know what it is. I I I wanted to be an actress. And I thought that if I went to college and I got training and then I showed up in L.A., it would happen. I was, like, so naive. I was, like, and, and all I needed to do was network. I just had to find you these. You knew that much. So I had they to find these parties. Time. Yeah. These sure. fictitious parties, mythical parties. And I would meet people who would then cast me in things. Well, what was the process of, of getting to that? Because there's pictures and, and you write about being doing stuff in high school. Yeah. These little productions. But what what was the the decision? Was it uh, uh, when you first auditioned, were you like fraught with fear and you didn't know what you were, you know, like was it? Like in high school and yeah, stuff? Yeah. I mean, how did it? You know, in my high school, we only did these big one every year we did a big musical. 
mm-hmm. and I can't sing. So, so you could just tuck away. And- yeah, I could just be in the dancing chorus and mm-hmm. sew costumes and like hang out and wait for my turn to dance. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and like chit chat. <laughs> and that's exactly what you do, right? You just sit there and you're like, here it comes. Yeah. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> you've, got, you've got one thing to do. <laughs> you I'm going to dance my heart out. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no. So. Uh, my senior year, they decided to do a stage play for some reason, and I finally got to audition, and I got cast as one of the four leads in it. This Mad Women of Shio. Huh. It's this oldie timey comedy um, about costumes. Costume. Oh yeah, hats with feathers and corsets and things. When I was in high school, we did uh, we did in junior high. I think we did Meet Me in St. Louis. Yes, yeah, same costumes. Oh yeah, same. So what is that time period? <laughs> I called it old timey. Uh, maybe it was the twenties. What is yeah, that? I don't know. Maybe even a little earlier. Maybe. Yeah, the somewhere tens? around there. Somewhere around there. Okay, yeah. turn of the century. turn of the century. Yeah, yes. Uh huh. And so, uh, so I got to be in that, and that was like the first like real acting role that I yeah. had before going off to college. Oh. And when I went to college, I didn't major in theater at first. Uh huh. But I always wanted to go to L.A. I begged my parents to let me go to L.A. out of high school. Yeah. I begged them to take me to this like weekend fair yeah. in St. Louis where you supposedly met Hollywood agents and then when they you were would, in high school, when I was in high school and that they would sign me and you had done this one play. I'd done one play and I just was like, but I don't want to wait. I don't want to go to college. This? How did you know about th- you just brought it was a, like just, in the paper or oh, something, you know, you it was like an ad in the paper. I had not remembered that production of meet me in St. Louis in a long time. I don't think I've talked about it. Do you have pictures from I, it? I used to have pictures. I had a I had a big chest like a mustache with chops. I was the boss, three piece suit, pocket watch. Do you have to sing? Did you have a song? No, it wasn't a musical. The Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh think. what? Well, I guess they made a musical movie of it. They though, did. Right? They but did. But the original Meet Me in St. Louis is a it play. Wasn't. It was a play. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, but the reason I remembered is there was at some point where someone throws water in my face. And, and I come back out, like I, I'm supposed to go out and I get hit with water and then I come back out on set wet and m- most of my mustache had come off and I come back outside not knowing that and they're laughing backstage because it had stuck to the door. Oh my- the- <laughs> it was, I, I just remember that. How'd you anyway. deal with that? Was that like, did that torture you or was it like, did it become some of the lore of the theater then? Like, remember, the when, remember the- when Mark's mustache well, stuck to the got, door? Well, the weird thing and is- And everyone talked about it at the cast party afterwards? I don't know. Was it, This was like junior high. We didn't have a theater at that school. Somebody, a teacher must have decided to have some sort of theater thing, you know, to do a play. Because yeah. I remember we just did it in the gym and set it up. And it was very young. I didn't do it in high school. Oh. So like it didn't, it, there was no infrastructure. There was no uh-huh. uh, cultural or community infrastructure around the theater kids or anything. It was just, it happened in a vacuum. Right. Uh, so no. Okay. I don't, I, it, it, didn't, it didn't make any lore. It didn't make any lore. But I would like to know where those pictures are. Yeah. Because somebody took big black and white pictures. I think the woman who was in charge of the show. They were in the yearbook. Anyways, I'm, you have to I, track them down. I'm sorry, this kind of jarred something in my memory, and I'm and I, I don't need to talk about me. I enjoyed that story. That brought me back to the times of you know things going wrong on set yeah. in high school and just how dramatic it became. 
And then we would just like, you're just like drinking beer at the cast party afterwards. Yeah. Everyone's like, I don't know. I just screwed it up. And I feel like everybody could see, Yeah. you know, and then that that person's like crying and you're like, it's okay. We have tomorrow night. It's going to be all right. I'm like, no one noticed. Yeah. In high school. Yeah. If something goes wrong or, or a wardrobe thing or like in any theater circle, theater in college, it's all the same. It's so narcissistic. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's great. And then that feeling when you're in college and you, like I went to plays in college and I did stage troupe in college, which was the non-acting school acting thing. Uh Uh-huh. But like when you go to the plays where, where people are taking real risks. Yeah. Maybe a little nudity. Oh yeah. And, and just sort of like, and it's college and you can see that they're not really comfortable with this. This is not. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite are college productions where like someone has to play the old man. And they've done like the the Ben Nye makeup shading yeah. from their Ben Nye makeup kit uh-huh. kit that they learned in their makeup class, yeah, yeah. and they're like doing all the physicality of old, and their voice has changed, and you know I just I love it. It's so there's it, talk about commitment. Like you don't. I I mean I know Daniel Day Lewis in Lincoln. That is the type yeah, of commitment, yeah, but right. I'm sorry. You show me a college kid playing an old man, and I'll show you commitment. <laughs> There's some guy. That's some real shit. It is some real shit. Yeah, I remember some guy did another. Some in that same high school, someone did Craps Last Tapes. Is that was that the name? Of oh the yeah. And the guy did full on like you know little big man makeup. Yeah. Like they figured out how to put the paint the paint glue on so it crunches up and everything. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hello. I'm very old. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? I, I would never do that today. Like, that would be, that's terrifying. To what? To, I, I don't know, to like trans, try to transform into an old person using like makeup shading and my body language. But would you let somebody make you an old person? Uh, yeah, I've done that where they put all the latex on you and you stuff. You did? Yeah, I didn't like it. I felt very claustrophobic. For which, which movie? That was in the movie Walk Hard. Oh, right. Yeah. I had to be old Darlene and I just spent three days and, and I, and I kept telling myself, that it would be okay because time passes and this will end. That Wednesday at 7 o'clock will happen because it must happen. And then I will not have to have this on my face anymore. Like, that, I had to, like, really talk myself down from that's it. That's practical uh, self-parenting. I, I, was, I was, like, really, like, and I didn't like talking to people. Like, I felt it was just very, Yeah, I did not like it. So, okay, so you, you go to the high school. They take you to the big agency signing. They don't take me. They refuse. My parents refuse to take me. To, to be the, signed by a big Hollywood agent? They won't do it. Apparently, they knew that it was some sort of money-making scheme. It was a racket? I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. So um, they told me that I could move to Los Angeles, but I had to go to college. They uh, said, you have to go to college. Which means like we're hoping that she'll get that out of her system during college? or You know, I don't think so. I think that they were very supportive, but... And I don't know what their thinking was. You need something to fall back on. So they would say things like, why don't you become a newscaster? As if being on (laughs) just being on camera is what I mean. Like local TV. You could do it. Be a newscaster. Go talk to your father knows what's his name at the station. Yeah, Just do that. Um, Which is not acting. It's journalism. It's like a complete other profession. Let's not go crazy. Yeah. You know, it's reporting. (laughs) It's broadcasting. It's broadcasting. Yeah. Um, so I went and I got a minor in journalism and I, originally, so you're actually that stuck in your craw. You're like, maybe I will. I was like, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. And then I majored in history at first. Where, what college? Truman State University. What is that? It's a tiny liberal arts school in Missouri. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. I toured a bunch of schools and I just liked Kirksville, the little town that Truman was in. I uh-huh. kind of just, I don't know. I wanted to live on my own after the mandatory year in the dorms and it just felt safe and okay. small and close to home, but far from home. And it just was. How far away was it? Three and a half hours. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so if could... I wanted to go home on a weekend, I could, but right. I also like. Didn't have, it wasn't yeah, too close. Yeah. They couldn't keep coming up. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so it was good. It was far it was enough like to separation be without separation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was fine and it was, it was great. And then by my junior year, I became a full-time theater major. Yeah? Yeah. Because I just was always doing the theater. I also realized as I was studying, because um, I was a pre-law history major, I realized as I was like having to write a paper about something in the library before yeah. computers, and you had to actually go to a library, um, I realized I liked acting like a lawyer <laughs> and pretending to be a lawyer, but I did not, I, I did not like researching things. Or, you, didn't, or, you didn't like the law. I didn't actually like the law. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I gave it up. Uh, you gave up the law. Yeah, I liked pretending like, like I was in a montage of a person studying and writing a paper, <laughs> but I didn't like actually want to do that. Coffee. Yeah, exactly. Like I would set it up like a little scene. Look at me at the library. Yeah. My studying montage. So when he started studying acting full on, how much of what you learned there is what all you needed to know? Um, like what was the acting program at Truman? Truman State University. Yeah. It was, um, it was a lot of reading plays. So it was a lot of like, that kind of like academic work. So I really am happy for that. I'm happy that when I'm yeah. on, when I'm on a set, I'm, I know who Chekhov is and I uh, read all those plays and I know contemporary American playwrights and I like, I like that knowledge. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had to read Greek tragedies and mm. all those sorts of things. So I'm happy for that. Um, and then acting wise, we mostly studied the Stanislavski method. That mm-hmm. was like the most. Who was the teacher? Uh, I had two teachers, Lee Orchard and John Schmore. They both teach at different schools now. And then our tech professor was this guy, Ron Rybkowski, who's still there. Yeah. And, um, and I, I never was cast in any lead roles of any main stage shows in, in college, college, except for my last summer, Ron Rybkowski, the tech teacher directed Crimes of the Heart and he cast me as like the boozy slutty uh-huh. sister meg yeah and that was awesome yeah but besides that i was all about like the student productions and the lab productions and like the sidecar productions which is probably better for learning it's better for being an actual working actor because yeah. that's what working actors do they create their own shit they make their own shit they have to band together with other people without the support of the department paying for anything and make it happen. Uh-huh. And so that was that was the best training for actually being an actor. And these like what is a what kind of tools as it the actual craft goes did you learn there that you still engage with? I don't know. Really? I mean <laughs> it's a, that's honest. I mean I cuz I've kind of moved away from the Stanislavski method which involves kind of pouring over your script and writing out intentions for every line. Like on this line my intention is to abuse and on this line my intention is to embarrass. <laughs> you know, like I just like that was what my studying was was to like create intentions for every But I assume thing you're supposed to and create in- beats. Creating beats, I do that still. Sure. For long scripts. And and actually, I've done some plays, 
Making choices. Making choices. Sure. Yeah. And some of the background work, I, I still have this form that they gave me in college about how to break down a character. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's like a five-page fill-in-the-blank form. Is about, it in the book? No, because it's from a book, and I didn't know if I could reprint it. But it's great. It's like, give me your 10 given circumstances, which are things that you've learned from the script that you know about your character. Oh, that's a good idea. And um, it could be anything that is said about you or said to you. Uh-huh. But that was another thing, like the difference between information that's said about you, but that your character didn't hear, mm. like that that's a distinction. So like how people feel about you, like that, it, that, make... that you're a crook, yeah. but do you know they think you're a crook? Right. Because you would play it differently if they know or don't know. Right. So some of that way of breaking down a script or a character, I still keep with me. From so school. that little five page thing, that stuff. I still, yeah. And it's like so degraded now. I should really have that Rick retyped for me. You can do that. You could even do it, maybe make a little project for yourself. And I know. Retype it. I should, because it's just like photocopy after photocopy after but photocopy of this it. form. Yeah. And I only have a hard copy of it. Huh. I have one blank hard copy that I can still make that's, a photocopy of and then fill that's in. That's the thing that survived. You don't know what book it comes from. I think it came from this little I I think it came from this little blue hardcover Stanislavski method book. Hmm. But I can't find the book either. That's wild. And I don't know what the book is called. But there's other things like moment before. Like so that was a big thing for my study. Like before you enter a room, what were you doing? Oh, that's a good one. Make a decision about it. Like, it could be literally anything. If the script doesn't tell you what your moment before is, what is your huh. moment before? So you don't. So you enter the room. Like nobody, everybody has a moment before right. in their life before right. they enter a meeting or a moment or a whatever. And so, like, it just makes it that moment. So, richer. what do you do once you make that decision? Like, I was just in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> when you walk in, you wipe your hands on your okay. on your pants okay. as you're so entering. I don't know something. Yeah, it informs some, something. Uh huh. I like that. Yeah. I find some of those exercises are just about squashing the vulnerability and anxiety of acting. Huh. Of just, it's almost like a, like a security blanket, like something to hold on to. You've worked with a lot of great actors and you've worked, you know, that John C. Riley in, in, uh, Walk Hard, right? Yeah. And he's like an interesting actor. Do you learn from other actors? I learned so much from John C. Riley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, both like sort of onset and offset kind of stuff because I was pretty new and Walk Hard was my first Big lead movie. role in like a studio movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like I had done Blades of Glory before that, but right. I had such a small role, and um, so but Walk Hard was like a really big deal. Yeah. Walk Hard was like the studio hired a physical trainer for me. They <laughs> yeah. sent me to voice lessons. Yeah, yeah. Like. It was like I had like 90 costumes. Yeah. I had to be made up into old age makeup. Like yeah, it was yeah. this big, huge undertaking. Yeah. Um, but no, working with John C. Riley, he's one of my favorite people that I've ever worked with. Yeah. And I did another movie with him, a little movie called The Promotion that we filmed before Walk Hard. So you guys in knew Chicago. Each other. Yeah. Yes. And we didn't really have any scenes together. Um, but we were in Chicago yeah. and just kind of hanging out with Fred Armisen. Uh-huh. And he was like, hey, I'm putting together this movie, Walk Hard, and you should come read for it. And then I originally, when I read the script, I assumed they wanted me to come in for the Kristen Wiig role, the sort of like, you know, put upon first wife. Yeah. And so that's what I prepared. And then they called and said, oh, no, no, that's already been cast. Kristen Wiig is doing that role. And I'm like, well, you can't mean the like lead hot like sexy girl no one ever casts me as that yeah. they're like no just come in and read just yeah. see yeah and i went in and and for the audition 
Judd Apatow was there and John C. Riley was there. And I knew John and we had to do this one kind of like sexy scene as the audition. And I remember like, I feel like I like got on John's lap and like licked his face or something. Something never happens in auditions, but you think always happens in auditions. Right. And, um, and I was so glad that I'd done that other movie with him and like been to dinner with him and that he felt familiar. He felt friendly to me and safe. Yeah. So I really was able to like go for it. And then I got the part. I was so excited. But then on set, he taught me a lot about on set movie etiquette, things that I didn't really know before. Yeah. Like they used to make me up and I thought it was my job to just go sit in my trailer all day. Um, like and wait to be called. Yeah. And John said, he got me aside and he was like, Jenna, why are you sitting in your trailer all the time? And I'm like, well, I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Like, I'm waiting. Like, I'm just like waiting for someone to tell me to come to the set and it's my turn. He's like, no, no. He's like, you sit on set. You sit on set yeah. in a director's chair at Video Village. You like chit chat and you're, you're up there. You're like super ready to go all the time. He's like, that's what you want to be doing. Okay. Huh. And I was like, oh, okay. And this was sort of like a third of the way through the movie. And it completely changed my experience after I did that. But is that, but is, is that protocol or is that just his way? Because like, I would imagine on some sets, you know, if you're that actor, eventually maybe the director would be like, why is she saying? <laughs> well, he was even like, bring a book. Come sit in a chair. I always sit uh, on set. On, I hate trailers. Yeah, hit, sit on set was what she, what he was basically saying. Yeah, I like saying. sitting on set. Yeah. Yeah, even like sometimes like I'll go sit even when people are on lunch. It's just a dark set. Just sit on the set while everybody's gone. Yeah, that actually sounds really peaceful. It's nice. Yeah, like because then and then you it's feel sort of like, lovely. Yeah, and then it comes to life like right at lunch, oh right after gosh. lunch, it's all of a sudden like cranes or th- you know things oh are my waking God. up. That sounds like an old, an old timey movie <laughs> it's to bring true, back old timey. I know that's so romantic. Uh, no matter on what set it is, like at lunch, like everyone's gone. Yeah, the, all the cameras are just like, Ugh. and then like all of a sudden, they're like, Ugh. yeah, it's just all of a sudden one or two people show up, and then it's like, yeah, it cranks up the lights, crank up. Oh my gosh, it's like a type of sunrise. It is. It is. Yeah. But okay, outside of telling you to you know uh, hang out at Video Village and be on set, not in your trailer. What else did you learn from John? Well, he was just like, I don't want to call him a workaholic because I feel like that has a negative connotation. But like, he just was always prepared. He was up for anything. He was ready for anything. And he he took his job seriously, but not too seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought he was a great model for how to approach work. He was flexible, but he was also rigid when he needed to be. He was just this really great mentor. And the other thing he told me was he told me, like near the end of the movie, he was like, Jenna, this is not real life. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) Yes, it is. All these people are my new best friends and we're going to keep in touch. And he was like, I just, it was like, without saying it, he was like, I love you. We had a great time. We have a wonderful rapport. I'm never going to see you again. It doesn't mean anything. Don't get your feelings hurt. And also, none of these people are your friends. Um, and you're never going to see any of them again either. And he was like, this is a moment in time. This is summer camp. Because I think he could see that I was like new and naive. and um, You still have sort of that kind of college theater thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And trading numbers. Yeah, Can't yeah, wait yeah. to get together for dinner in a couple weeks. Yeah. You know, and, you, and it's true. <laughs> You don't see any of the people again. Nobody is friends again. Uh, and it's over. It's three months of your life, and then that's it. And But he was also saying, he's like, so you need to build something real outside, outside of, of this. this. Right. And he's like, I do. I have a family. I live outside of the business. Yeah. And you don't hear from me until I come on set. And I remember Jack Black saying the same thing once. I heard really? an interview with him, and he sort of said, 
when I'm on set, I'm on, and when I'm off set, I'm off. And I think it's actually really good advice. Right. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of, the intensity of a production is, is sort of wild. Yeah. And then that last day, you still get all of that stuff that you got in college at cast parties yeah. and everything, but you really go your different ways, and then maybe you see craft services. Yeah, on uh, another production. Right. Yeah. Or you see the, you know, an AD or a grip or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we worked it, or, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, how you been? Like, but that's it, isn't it? I just found out that the sound guys who worked on The Office are going to work on my new show that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I like started to cry. I was so excited. <laughs> like, I was like, what? <laughs> Nick and Brian? <laughs> Nick and Brian. Oh, my God. I was like so excited. Well, you, but you were with those but guys for, for a, nine a decade. years. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like that, I thought that it actually is really good advice because the, the industry and working on sets is very intoxicating and you can get like kind of addicted to it, mm-hmm. I think. And, um, Everyone's like good looking and charming and charismatic and funny and smart and amazing. And it's incredible. I mean, it's like a it's complete also, like fantasy world. Yeah, but there's also sort of like, oh, that guy. I, he's like, <laughs> like there's, you know, there, there's always going to be one or two of those. Like. Well, yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like it just that I think that's what he was warning me against. He was like, you seem like, yeah, he's like, you seem like a moth that wants to fly really close to the flame and it it just don't get burned out. Oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And also don't get emotionally attached to the romance of it. Yeah. Don't, don't draw, like, this is not your food. I'm sure you have friends. This is your candy. I do. I have a lot of friends outside the industry. No, but I'm sure you have friends. You're going to tell me you don't, you don't talk to Grzynski or whatever. I do. I do. I I actually, the off, that's different. I think if you spend a, like a long period of time on a television show, it's like, I always wondered, how do the bachelors and bachelorettes become such good friends on that show? Yeah. And it's like, well, they're locked in a house together. And that's what being on a TV show is like. Like, we're locked in that room 12, 14 hours a day for nine years. Right. Like, we're legit friends. Yeah. And I see all those people. Those are some of my best friends. Really? Even BJ Novak? I see BJ Novak. I love BJ. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. We have dinner sometimes. Okay, good. It's been a few years. But oh, see, a few years. It's been a few, but that's how it, but it is, but we text, you know, that's like my whole, all my friendships are texting friendships and like voicemail yeah. friendships I, at I this used point. him as a punchline in like three seasons of my show. You did? Yeah. That's okay. He said something very funny to me. <laughs> yeah, because it's not, it's it's not good hearted, really. I was very snotty to BJ Novak. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? He can take it. He can. He's a, you he can know, take the, it. He's like, um, yeah. Harvard taught him how to take it. That's right. It exactly. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And also, he'll be fine. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, he'll be more than fine. He will. But he came up to me once after the first season where I used him as a joke. And he looked at me and he's like, you know, we're cosmically connected now. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. I did that <laughs> forever for as long as anybody watches that show. All right. So now the teaching part of the book. Like, it felt to me like when I was looking through it that, like, you know, you, you you express a certain amount of vulnerability in that you show, you know, the the sort of weird, not-so-quiet desperation. Of being an actor? Yeah. hmm And, you know, like, but, but exposing that, like, because when you do shitty headshots and you put them out in the world, yeah. you don't know that at first. You don't, when I'm taking those headshots, I think they're fantastic. <laughs> I sent them to many agents and casting directors. It was not until I compiled them for the book that I realized I had worn overalls 
the same pair of overalls in three of my headshots spanning five years. Uh. What is that? What's wrong with me? Seriously. I don't know. But I look at so many of my clothing choices early on where I'm like, what was I doing on television like that? Horrible. Like I do Conan and stuff. And like I was talking to somebody else, a guy who I just met through some other people who lived in my neighborhood in Queens, what, said he was a clothing designer. Oh. And I let him design a shirt and That's pants a great, for me. Great choice. That I wore on Conan great. for the first time. And and I'm like, what? That's so nice of you. <laughs> what was I doing? What were you doing? But what were you doing in overalls for five years? It's what I wore. I thought in a headshot, wear your favorite outfit. Clearly, overalls were my favorite outfit. I had a really, like a lumberjack period. But did apparently. you get work off of those headshots? No, of course <laughs> I didn't get any work. And of course I'm blaming my agent or my non-existent agent. I got, no, no, no. But um, no, the, I, the idea behind the book and when you talk about it being teaching is just, I came out to LA and I thought I knew what I was supposed to do with my training and I didn't know at all. Which was what? You were just going to be chosen. Yes. Be, wait to be chosen. So when you went to college and you did this, did you have a some sort of primer? Did somebody hip you to the business? Was there a class no. that said how it was supposed to go? So what were you basing that on? I don't know. On stories I'd heard about Pam like, Anderson being at a baseball game and then the camera shoot, you know, goes over to her on the jumbotron and then a modeling agent gives her a card. It's Pam Anderson. I, exactly. She's a freak I, of but, nature. I know, but, but then, you know, there's some other thing like, oh, this person no, did you. some stand up and right. then this producer was like, I must have you and here's a TV show. And so isn't it you're weird? Like, what? You believe that? And that first time you drive into LA and you're like, where's the city? Where, oh, like, oh, there's that too. Like, where am I in it? Am I here yet? I guess I'm here. I lived here for like a year before I left. Like I came here for a year or so and I left and came back years later. But I was like in Culver City. Oh yeah, you weren't like living in like a yeah. in a roommate situation. Just sort of like what how do I get in? Yeah. You drive by Paramount. What is it? What's in there? Yeah, how do I get in there? So the idea is here's everything I learned during my just like 5 years of complete and utter just depression. But right. But you talk about interesting, like, you know, fairly specific stuff, doing extra work, Taft-Hartley. Mm-hmm. I, I had to be Taft-Hartley, and I still don't know what it is. I know, right? <laughs> I, I sort of say that in the book. I'm like, listen, here's a way to get into SAG. Good luck. But <laughs> Do they still do it? You got to Yeah, you, they still Taft-Hartley. You can get Taft-Hartley. That, well, all that again. means is, like, you don't have to pay your dues on your first job. Yeah, it means that you got a job... And you weren't in the union, but they needed you specifically, so yeah. they made an exception and put you in. And usually that's like somebody you know, a yep. friend, gets you a little gig, maybe one line that might not even make it into the movie or yes. the TV show, so you can get in the union. C- correct. Yeah. <laughs> so that's still like if you're just someone in St. Louis, you know, you're going to need that friend. But you, but that's the thing. So you, I come to LA like looking for that way of getting in the union, but that's so rare. It's like winning the lottery. Right. So, so yeah, I, I try to talk a lot about all the things I learned and tell all of my embarrassing, funny stories, but also pack the book with like real practical information like that too for like aspiring just, actors. It's just the horror of like, you know, like I never, I didn't do that. I did it. I was always a comic. So, and I spared myself what you guys go through. I can't, I don't know how one does that. 
You know, just goes out on auditions. Constantly. How do you go out on stage and do comedy? That but is that, harder. That was just, but that was my life. You know, like I've been doing that. You know, that was all I ever wanted to do. It, it was genetically inclined somehow. Like I don't, I didn't think I had a choice, but that was my chosen avenue. I didn't get in it to be an actor. I got in it to be a comic. Yeah. And whatever. But you know, the course of it, you know, like if, after you do it for a while, you're like, well, you want to get your own show or whatever, all that mm-hmm. stuff. But, but like when I just go out on auditions before, you know, and no one knew me for years up until like, you know, like what, six years ago. Most people still don't know me. But like you go to those auditions and sometimes you'd walk down hallways that were just like, there were just stacks of headshots. Yeah. All along the hallway. And you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. All these people think it's going to happen. It's true. It's true. It's, and to me, that that scene, like going into a casting director's office and seeing stacks of hundreds of headshots, mm-hmm. was too much for me to bear. I'm like, this ain't my path. I can't do this. I can't do that. See, that's interesting because when you talk about that, like I just, I feel like I I never decided to be an actor. It was just like what I was going to be. Well, that's how I felt and about so, comedy. Yeah. So I just had to like figure that out. I had to like conquer that part of. I had to. I had to audition. I had to figure out how to do all that. I did. Yeah, for me, it was like I had to figure out how to be myself. Like, I, you, like the job for me was oh, like, uh-huh. how do I, like, you know, how how do I become singular? Not how do I, you know, fit into whatever they're looking for here in this hallway. Yes, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's hard, and you've yeah. talked about that before about finding your comedic yeah. voice, your your authentic sure. authenticity. Yeah, there's in and your there's comedy. No, there's no book for that. That's, is that, I mean? that's just years and trial and error and just Something, doing it. You know, yeah, you, you've, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, you eventually land in yourself one way or the other, whether it's a caricature or whatever. But you are too, though, because you, over over the years, there, there's something intrinsic about you that's going to come out in all of your work. but And it's a known quantity now. And you're yeah. comfortable with it. Right. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not like a, one of those like transform myself actors. Right. Well, that's I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm an everyman and you're meant to see yourself in me. And there's varying degrees of people in that range. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not looking to put uh, on weight or do accents. Well, you don't want to hear me do accents. They're ridiculous. Like my husband and I do accents for each other <laughs> yeah. just when we want to do a bit because it's ridiculous. I was doing French waiter for my children the other night and oh, he yeah. was like dying. He oh, was yeah. like, this is the worst. Your husband was? He was dying laughing. He was yeah. like, this is the worst French, French waiter. He's an actor? He's a writer director. Right. And my daughter in the middle of my French waiter, she's three. And she said, she said, mama, we don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> She was like, your accent is so bad. We don't understand what you're saying. Not working. That was very bad. But, um. But like, how'd you get the office? How'd that happen? Like, how many times? How, like, cause you had done a lot of little TV parts. You'd been kicking yeah. around for how long? Eight years. Eight years? Eight years. And you were still gung ho? Yeah. I know. You got well, enough work to keep you. No. After six years, I, um, was finally earning as much money from acting as I did from my day job that I had before that. Uh-huh. So years six and seven, I was able to make that same amount of money as I did as an administrative assistant prior. But it was through like booking a pilot or booking three great guest star roles, right? all of which like were totally unsatisfying and would get my hopes up and then crush all my dreams. Right. And then um, I cried and said I was going to give up. I told everybody I was giving up that I was done. And my manager and agent 
told me that I was that this is what an actor's life is and asked me if I was an actor or not. And they said this could go on for years and years. So are you an actor or are you not an actor? Oh my god. And I would have been like, I don't know. I know. I was I was oh I was so angry. I was so mad. I mean, I was like crying and I was like it's too hard and you're not doing it and you don't even know. It is crushing my soul. <laughs> And um, I was like very, I was like, you know, that kind of just kind of crying, like yeah. sucking air. And um, and my manager really convinced me and my acting coach convinced me to just roll through it, just roll through that and keep going. Yeah. And it was that following year then when I got my audition for The Office. But Allison Jones, who cast The Office, cast me in my first television speaking role, which was Spin City, the Charlie Sheen years. Mm-hmm. I played a waitress who had three lines. Um, so when I'd been in LA for five years, I booked that job with Allison, but that was like my fifth audition with Allison. So I met Allison and she just liked me and she kept calling me in every year for little things. And I would book some little things and I would crash and burn at other auditions, but she just really believed in me. And then thank the Lord, she ended up casting the office and she thought of me and brought me in. So I really owe everything to Allison and and to my manager, Naomi, who got me the meeting with Allison originally. I know her. Yeah, she's great. And um, and again, like we we didn't hit it off because like I brought her brownies or I like schmoozed her. It was really just she called me and I did my work. Yeah, she found it acceptable. Right. And we just did that for three years. And then I came in for the office and the office was tough. It was like. You know, it was a lot of pressure because there had been this original version that was beloved, which I loved, the British version. And a lot of people, like, didn't even want the job because they were sure that... Lucy had your part, right? Yeah. Yeah. She who's amazing. I love her, yeah. She, I, I've worked with her before on my show. She's great. I love her. Yeah. I got to meet her. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And, um, and so we were all really nervous and everybody was pretty sure that, like, NBC and all of us were just going to mess it up. I went out for it. it. Up. For the office? Yeah. Who'd you audition for? For uh, Grzynski's part. You did? Yeah. I did. Wow. And I had no idea what the other office was. I remember doing it, and I don't remember who was my... I, I, I don't know who my agent was at that time, but it was for John's part. It was for one of the two guys. They kept looking for those two guys. Yeah. And That's I had, so funny, because they made John read for Dwight the first time. Right. I think because he was like really tall or something. Everybody read for both parts, but I remember, uh, who, who? yeah, Greg Daniels is in the room. Yeah. So did you go, how many times did you go in? Did you just I read just, the one, uh, you went right to see Greg. Right. You went straight to producers. I did go, I must have because he was there. Yeah. And then I did, I got cast in a pilot, a big old pilot with Odenkirk and Janine Garofalo. It was a slice of life it was called. Yeah. Right. And it was supposed to, like, and we were about to go shoot in Vancouver, and they pulled the plug on it after the read-through. And so I think that whatever that momentum was, because that must have been 2003, around the same time. Did you shoot a pilot of that? No. we got ca- They cast it. We had our plane tickets. And then they canceled it before you shot the pilot. Yeah, we did a full read-through. We had our plane tickets to Vancouver. Isn't that heartbreaking? It was a little much. Yeah, I mean, it's like that's that's the whole life of an actor. Like, you think something's going to happen. You get attached to it. You, I mean, it's so hard to get the job, and then you get the job, and then the job disappears. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, what else am I supposed to do? Like, how weird, else do I, I think, succeed? I think Rain was in that. Rain so, Wilson was. I think so. No way. There was. It was. It was all must have been right before 
the office, right? Cause there was a lot of people in that, in that slice of life thing. Odenkirk had a little part. It was me and Janine. And it was like a full dais of people. It was a big cast. Well, Bob Odenkirk went out for Michael Scott mm-hmm. and I actually prepared my auditions with him. I would go and meet with him. And he's your manager's husband. My manager's husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he would be Michael and I would be Pam and we worked on our auditions together. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So that was pretty crazy. But, um, I could see him as that. But now it's hard to see anybody but Carell for the American one. And Gervais is, you know, singular, obviously. Yeah. But they're very different shows. Yeah. Very different characters. And yeah, Ricky Gervais came in while we were doing the pilot and he gave us some really great advice about how to Americanize the show. Oh, really? Yeah. He said, you know, in, in England, you can be really bad at your job, but you don't get fired. You can just keep it forever. <laughs> and so he's like, but in America, that's not true. And people would be very frustrated by that here in America. He's like, I think it wouldn't go over well. Uh-huh. He's like, so I suggest my big suggestion is that Michael Scott is actually a good salesman. And you see that throughout the show. Like he's a maddening person to be around, uh-huh. but he has a charm with clients and he, you know, and also just that like he manages to surprise you. Right. And that was sort of his suggestion was that, you know, basically in England, we can live with a lot of abuse and very few sunshines. Yeah. Um, but I think in America, you need like a little bit more interesting hope. In was that a show. producer's note? It was, yeah, it was kind of in a meeting that we had, where we all got together and ate lunch. And I remembered thinking in that meeting, if nothing else happens from this entire experience, except that I got to sit in a room and eat lunch with Ricky Gervais and listen to him tell us ideas, I my life is complete. It's very smart, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very smart note. I think so, too. And yeah. then Stephen Merchant was there, too. And Stephen Merchant said, um, Jim and Pam, that yeah. the romance between Jim and Pam it should never be more than like, I can't remember what he said, but he's like, it should never be more than 20% of every episode. Like it's, it's just a little something like you're, you come for the comedy, but you stay for the romance, but it's not all about the romance, but, it, but that's important. Yeah. So like, that's the heart of the show, but you know, this isn't, that's not at its core, a love story. Right. It was a hell of a run, huh? I, incredible. And I, I've gone back to watch some episodes recently and they are so good. And yeah. I can't believe that I was on them. And it kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Like, it feels like a dream. Really? I can't believe it. I still have a sense memory of my desk. Yeah. And um, and I left before they took it apart. And I, I didn't want to go into the soundstage after it was gone, because I like to imagine it's still there. It's a long time. Yeah. To be dug in like that and to have those connections. To yeah. Be, to even a set, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine it. To the place and all yeah. the people and the crew. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, but you know, like you said, it's a long time and you did create some relationships there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now post office, did you find that, I don't know, I didn't read this part of the book. Did you find, it didn't seem to me, it doesn't seem to me that that role, unlike some other, it was a defining role. But it didn't seem like it would necessarily hobble your ability to be seen as anything else. Um, no, I it didn't. But um, coming off of the office, I would get a lot of offers for 
I think what people maybe thought I wanted to do, like mm. they thought I wanted to blow up the image of Pam. So I would get scripts where they're like, we just think Jenna would be such a surprising choice for this. We just love her for this. So she gets bent over a car and like fucked in the ass. And, you know, just her tits are flying, but like no one will expect it. And I'm like, what the fuck script is this? What's Why happening? are you raping Pam on a car? Like, that is what you are doing. Like, that is so gross. <laughs> Guys, settle down. I mean, more than one script, like, just something like that, yeah, right? right? Very disturbing. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get rid of that character for good. And th- Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna just going to fuck it out of her. Due to Pam, what Trump's doing to America. That, that's Seriously, like, so much <laughs> anger. So much anger at America's little <laughs> sweetheart Pam, yeah, right? Yeah, I was right. like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and I'd be like, no, I think I'm going to not do that. Um, but then I would also get a lot of offers that were Pam, You know, so it's like the sort of something in between was a little harder to find. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, after the office, I had another kid. So I took some time off. You have two. I have two. With the same guy. With the same man, my husband. That's good. That's your husband. It's much easier that way. I find it's like so much less complicated. But you have another husband, an ex-husband. I have an ex-husband. Who was uh, a big director guy. Yes. In the world of films I know nothing about. Yes, Yes, James Gunn is yeah. my ex-husband, who is the writer-director of the Guardians of the right. Galaxy. You have no kids with him. I We have no children. But you're friends still. We are still friends. Is that good? It is good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's... You're, you're not obligated, you know. You're not obligated if you have no kids to stay friends with him. I know. Okay. But I think it's maybe easier to stay friends because we don't have kids, because we don't have to parent from separate homes. I, that seems so difficult I guess so. I me. guess maybe if you like him and you end it on good note... We did. There was no animosity. Oh. And um, I have no idea what you're talking about. It was it was a weirdly it was like a surprisingly like this sounds crazy to me. You're just talking crazy talk. I know. Right. <laughs> he's um, he, he's an infuriatingly uh, wonderful person who mm. I just couldn't be married to. Got it. Um, and vice versa. And we were not we were not a match. Right. And who's the new guy? Lee Kirk. Okay. That's my What's it, and he directs husband. and writes. He's a writer director. He what? makes independent films. Yeah, that's how we met. And um, and you've done that. You made a film. That the film I made with him, the film I produced, was a film that he wrote and then eventually directed. What's that called? It's called The Giant Mechanical Man, okay. and it's super good and it's so sweet and has Chris Messina and Topher Grace and I just love it. But they took it off Netflix, so that's annoying. Oh well, call somebody. I know. Yeah. I'm the producer. Yeah, have Pam. It's my call. job. Yeah. I need to make that call. Topher Grace can be really good sometimes. I love Topher. I'm yeah. doing an animated show with Topher now. I thought he was great in that movie. What was the one with Dennis Quaid? Oh, Good Company is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yeah, exactly. I like that movie. It's a great film. In that movie, you were in that the uh, Copeland movie. Um, Solitary, Solitary Man. Man. Yeah. I like that movie. Michael Douglas. Great actor. Amazing. Yep. And uh, I'm getting ready to do a scene where we're walking down a New York street having a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like every scene you've ever seen in any Woody Allen movie. Yeah. And I turned to him and I said, this is my first New York City walk and talk yeah. scene. <laughs> and he turned to me with like such genuine excitement. He goes, What? I'm your first New York City walk and talk scene? This is fantastic. This is gonna be great. It was so sweet. Like he got it, right? Like he got 
yeah, why yeah. an actor wants to do a New York City walk right, and talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Like they stop traffic, and so you're <laughs> yeah. crossing the street or acting like there's traffic, but there's no traffic. Right. It's so cool. Oh, that's great. And he completely showed up for you. He did. That's sweet. He got that it was special. And so, what uh, what's happening now? You got to get going. So the book is happening. It's helpful. It's good. It'll it'll put your dream into perspective. Yeah. If you want to do acting. All those things. Yeah. So I have that. Carell writes it forward. But you have these weird interviews. I do. I interviewed four working actors that you probably don't recognize, but they work all the time. And to me, that should be your goal when you set out to have a career in acting, because that is a successful career. So it shouldn't be about being famous or being recognizable, but like a working, working actor is it's working. So... Yeah, I interview these four working actors, and Derek Waters, the creator of Drunk History, was one of the people that I yeah, interview. I should get him in here. I I like that guy. He's amazing. Yeah, he did. He was on Marin, my show, and I he was funny. And, I, and Drunk History is funny. I don't drink though, so I can't do it. But you could be on it. You could be a performer on it. He's never asked me, so maybe maybe we'll work that out. I know I've known Derek for fifteen or sixteen years, and it wasn't until last year that he finally asked me. I think to be he's a good actor. I do too. Yeah, I've known him for a long time. Yeah, how'd you meet him? Um, we had the same manager and we ended up going to the same acting coach. Who's that? Um, Robert Devonzo. And he's amazing. Yeah. And, um, he transformed my career. How? He taught me how to audition. He taught me how to audition effectively and he deprogrammed my mind. He taught me what I should be expecting from the industry and what I shouldn't and what I should be doing for myself. He like was like part therapist but not in the like, not in the sleazy, annoying way that yeah. acting teachers like want to take you back to your childhood traumas and make you like spill out your guts in class. I hate that. Um, it was about just like cutting out all the bullshit, bringing yourself to a role, and then also just literally teaching me what everything I was doing wrong in my auditions. Oh, he practical. doesn't teach. Yeah, practical. he doesn't doesn't teach you how to act. He's like, that's your go to acting school. You know, he has acting classes, but for this audition class, he's like, I'm teaching you how to audition, which is a completely different skill and one that I hadn't learned. And I didn't understand why I wasn't getting cast in things. What was the primary trick? Um, memorize the first three lines of every scene um, so that especially if you're only given a small amount of time with the material, because sometimes you get there and like, here's your scene. Um, memorize the first three lines so your face is up because they make almost all their decisions within the first three lines of a scene. Pick one moment where you're going to make a dramatic choice in the scene, um, but just one. And then actively listen when the other person is talking. Don't look down at your script for your next line. Make sure that there are times when your eyes are up and you're listening and reacting to the casting director or the other person reading. Mm. And then he also taught me about the questions that you can ask in order to help inform your performance at an audition hmm. like just like little things like on a scale of one to ten how broad is this ten being super broad one being not at all mm -hmm. and then the casting director will say oh it's probably like about a seven and then you do it and they're like you know what i'm sorry bring it up to a nine like get engage them like help them direct you right and knowing how to ask questions wow so he's like awesome that's great and that's where you met Derek. That's where I met Derek. And you still work with Naomi? I still work with Naomi. And you have two kids? And I have two kids. And you like them? I love them. Good. And your parents are still with us? My parents are still alive. And yeah. they're proud of you? They are proud of me. 
But the, my or anytime my mom says she's proud of me, she's going to remind you that she's also very proud of her other daughter, who is not a famous actress, but who is a wonderful teacher in St. Louis. <laughs> Good. Keeps it equal. And right. are you, and you're going to do that with your kids? I guess so, right? Yeah. What I mean, mean, as an experiment, I suppose I could just heap pride on one child and not the other and see how it goes. But that seems like I feel like my mom's doing it right. Yeah, no, that's one of the good things you learn from them. I did. Try to take the good thing. How old are your kids? My kids are almost six and three. All right. So they, they haven't really proved themselves yet. So they haven't. I mean, they have a long way to go. <laughs> I mean, we'll see if I'm proud of them. Yeah. We don't know yet. Yeah. Play it by ear. Yeah. We'll but prepare see. to be proud. I'm, I'm prepared. I will. I'll, you know, I'll prepare for the best. Good. Thank you for talking. Oh, thanks. Okay. Wasn't that great? I liked it. Don't forget, folks, you can rest easy knowing that your home and family are protected with Simply Safe with motion, glass break, and entry sensors, plus a high definition security camera. Simply Safe has everything you need to keep your family safe. Order online in minutes, get it that week, and set it up in under an hour. No tools, no hard wiring. Open the box, plug it in, and you'll be protected 24-7. All for just $14.99 a month. Right now, Simply Safe has a special pre-holiday sale for all my listeners. Visit simplysafewtf.com right now to check it out. I'll play a little guitar, I think. I deprived you of that. Maybe that was a pleasure for you not to have it. But I'll do it now.